Welcome to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we discover our personal definition of wealth through conversations with talented and successful women who are living their version of a wealthy and meaningful life. Teresa Leftenant is owner of Reinventing Her Money, a boutique financial planning and wealth management company located on Seattle's east side. Teresa is a licensed financial advisor and certified financial planner professional. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA, SIPC. CFP and Certified Financial Planner, the Certified Financial Board of Standards Incorporated, owns these certification marks in the U.S., which it awards to individuals who successfully complete CFP Board's initial and ongoing certification requirements. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for an individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified professional. Our guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Teresa Leftenant, or Reinventing Her Money. Hey there, welcome to episode 27 of A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we support women to create a meaningful and abundant life on her terms. As a certified financial planner, wealth advisor, author, and speaker with over 30 years experience, professional women and their partners hire me to gain the right knowledge and confidence to overcome financial challenges that women face as they pursue a wealthy life. And what is my definition of a wealthy life? Well, I believe that true wealth is found when we are pursuing our passions, exploring who we really are, expressing our inner talents and living our personal dreams, all supported by that financial resources that we all need to make the best choices along the way. Now, my expert guests and I, we explore seven elements of living a wealthy life, which include our finances, physical health and wellness, professional and career, mental and emotional wellness, recreation and fun, relationships, and contribution and legacy. And I share my philosophy of the inner power qualities that women can develop to expand their lives, as well as ideas on how to improve long-term financial fitness. Now, today's episode is part of our professional and career series, and I'll be introducing our guest in just a moment. But before, I want to ask you, what is your top financial challenge? According to TD Ameritrade's recent financial disruption survey, where they polled over 1,000 U.S. adults with at least 10,000 in investable assets, nearly half of them said that rising cost of living is the greatest threat to their financial security. And 44% fear the rising cost of health care, with risk of economic recession being the third disruptor that 34% of Americans fear. Now, other disruptors that Americans are concerned about are natural disasters, which, of course, we're experiencing in the West right now with all the fires, longevity, rising cost of college, stagnant wages, divorce or loss of spouse, and becoming jobless due to automation. There's a lot to worry about, but I want to help you come up with the steps you need to take so you can reduce that worry and stress. Now, let's talk about the cost of living right now. So if you include food, housing, education, and medical costs, the Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index says that it increased 2.3% over the last year. 
Now, the cost of medical care rose 4.6% in 2019, and housing jumped 3.2%. Well, you might wonder, has anything decreased in price since the last time they did the C Consumer Price Index report? Actually, yes. Electricity's gone down, used cars, apparel, fruits and vegetables, and the gas we buy to fuel our homes. Now, when you think about it, the overall cost increase of 2.3% is not really that bad if your income goes up at the same level. But according to Payscale Index, real wages effectively remained stalled last year, showing only a 0.2% year-over-year increase. So looking long-term, Payscale found that medium wages, that's when adjusted for inflation, actually has declined 9% since 2006. Okay, I don't mean to bum you out, but why am I telling you this? Because this is the reason that you need to consider your own financial plan and maybe pay some closer attention. So in order to shield our future from financial threats, we have to look at things like how much emergency fund do we have? And the recommendation is about six months of living expenses. And by the way, according to a new poll from Bankrate, only 41% of people say that they could cover a $1,000 unexpected expense from their savings account. So you've heard it before, but saving an emergency fund is job number one when it comes to improving your financial fitness. And you can do that by looking at your spending and cutting out a few discretionary expenses like your daily coffee at Starbucks, which I know we all love. But we can also cut out a meal every now and then when we're eating out. And we can also look at how we can stick to our monthly plan, plan a little better. So at Reinventing Her Money, we guide our clients to create what we like to call a resilient monthly savings and spending plan. So in my many years of talking to women every day, I see some typical budgeting mistakes. Here's a few. So not identifying what goals you're actually going for, and then not having a plan to get to those goals. Not having an agreement with your spouse about what are the financial priorities of the family. Not having an understanding about how your relationship with money can actually impact your long-term results. Ignoring bad spending habits like wandering around the grocery store and just picking things off the uh, shelves or the tendency to shop online when you feel bored. Not having a plan for emergencies and therefore relying on credit cards for shortfalls. And then obviously not tracking your spending on apps like Quicken or Mint.com or Nav.it, which we learned about when I interviewed the founder, Aaron Papworth, in episode 20. So go back and listen to that. So what's important to know about creating a resilient saving and spending plan? Well, there's three keys to successful monthly money management. Number one is a good attitude and a positive money mindset. Number two is consistent focus and good communication. And number three is an ongoing commitment to managing your money every month. So let's look just a little deeper into each one of those steps. So again, the first step 
to successful monthly money management is a positive attitude and a positive money mindset. Now, we talked about overcoming limiting thoughts about money last week with our guest, Melissa Corder. There may be some psychological factors driving your financial behavior. You might want to consider that. Like, for instance, money can be a sign of power or control in your relationships. Or you might feel that heady rush when you're making a new purchase. And that gives that, you, you want to do it over and over because of that good feeling that you, uh, that you feel. And that can contribute to overspending. So becoming more aware of the link between your thoughts, emotions, and your results in your financial life, that's what can really contribute to better financial health. You might know there's a local expert, Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's author of many books, one called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And he teaches in that book that our brain has plasticity. And so new thoughts and behaviors can forge new neural pathways. So if you feel like you're stuck in a rut from thinking old ways, all you have to do is think differently to create new positive thinking neuropathways. And I say, retrain your brain. So the second key to successful money management, which is a consistent focus and good communication. So one major roadblock to creating and maintaining that resilient spending plan is the disagreements we have with our significant other around money. For example, sometimes you might consider what is an unimportant, unimportant want to your partner is really a critical need to them. An example of this would be like a sports hobby. You might think that golf is kind of dumb, but it's really a passion for your partner. So we need to get on the same page about how we spend our money, our discretionary spending, so that we can be more on the same page. So whatever goals we have, whatever experience we want to pursue in our lives, there's six basic universal needs that seem to drive all human beings' behavior. And they are the reason that we do these really great things and we also do crazy things. So if you want to learn more about the six basic human needs, you can listen to episode 18 and my interview with relationship coach Jennifer Blanco. Now, the third key to successful money management is an ongoing commitment. You know, like it or not, developing a resilient spending plan is not a one-time event. It's a journey throughout our whole lifetime. And to be successful, you need to monitor your progress regularly and adjust your plan as your goals, priorities, experiences, and life changes. I recommend reviewing your spending at least every quarter and your long-term financial plan at least yearly. So I invite you to think differently about budgeting. Think about it making a plan for your spending and savings. We all have financial goals. And, and it takes both constructive planning and a good attitude to achieve them. So in my new education series, which I'm calling Creating a Financially Resilient and Wealthy Life Plan, we create a resilient spending plan together. So look for our launch later this fall at reinventinghermoney.com. All right, let's invite our guests to join the conversation. So Ronnie Sasaki was born with only one leg. She harbored a secret desire to become an Olympic athlete. And after various attempts at sports, she became a one-legged skier. 
and won a gold medal and two bronze medals at the 1992 Paralympics at Albertville, France. Sasaki is both a professional speaker and the owner of Environment, an industrial supply company she started in 1995. So she's converted her experience on the slopes to valuable tidbits of wisdom that inspire business professionals to overcome obstacles and adapt so that they too can achieve whatever their dreams and goals are. So it's really an honor to have you on the show today, Ronnie. Let's start with you telling us a little bit more about your story, which I'm, I've always found so fascinating. So help us out. Help us understand who you are. Oh, thanks, Teresa. It's really great to be on the show with you today. You said that my story started when I was born, which is true because I was born with a birth defect. They brought in a specialist. As soon as they realized that my right leg was significantly shorter than my left, they brought in this specialist doctor who declared that I had a birth defect. They later um, called it PFFD, which is initials for partial femoral focal deficiency, which is a lot of words that basically mean I was born without my thigh bone mm. on my right leg. So I had my leg from the knee down, but it was attached to the hip. So I was essentially missing the middle of my leg. Mm. Plus my hip was pretty messed up as well. What was so funny is the doctor that said I would never walk. And I think he probably meant that I would not walk with two real legs. Cause as you mentioned, I learned to walk on a prosthetic leg by the time I was two. And it's so funny. If you could see a picture of my first leg nowadays, it's very different. The legs that they give to young babies like me, they look like legs, but mine looked more like a stilt. It was a couple of wood pieces. It had a rubber crutch tip on the end with um, a lot of leather straps and platforms and buckles to attach it to my body, but it worked because that's how I learned to walk by the time I was age two. But what I didn't learn at a young age was to really love and accept myself. I was a really normal kid in so many ways. Uh, in spite of having one leg, I tried to do everything that all the other kids around me could do. But I had this secret dream and it was a dream inside of me it was to become an Olympic athlete. And it was kind of one of those things, if you've ever had a dream that you don't tell anybody about because you know they're just going to laugh at you, that was my dream. Because, I mean, come on, seriously, a one-legged person like me, I was, if there had been an award for the least likely to be athletic coming out of school, <laughs> I think I would have been given that award. I tried so many things in PE classes. That was kind of my first exposure to real team sports, other than just goofing around in the neighborhood with uh, friends, you know, that lived on the same street as me. But I got to school and in PE class and it was competitive, right? And the most popular kids, even at a young age, were always the best athletes. And the teacher would pick two team captains. I know almost everybody I talked to has had this experience before. And the two team captains were the best athletes in the class. And they stood in front of everybody and began to pick off the remaining best athletes to build their teams. And finally, they'd get down to the not so good athletes. And then those would be divided out. And then there was two people left. It was me and one other girl who was equal, equally bad at sports, just like me. And the teacher would assign us to a team. <laughs> And I remember walking, because my hip is deformed, I'll use that word deformed, it's, it's um, 
there's all kinds of new politically correct words and I can't think of them right now, but some of them kind of make me laugh a little bit. Um, I walk with a really interesting staggering limp, kind of like somebody who's really had too much to drink. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously in school, that was not a consideration. As I'm limping over to my team, I could see their faces and they're looking at each other, kind of assessing, oh my goodness, how is our team going to do now that we have the one-legged girl on our team? Right. Um, I remember we, in PE class, we also had this thing, it was called the President's Physical Fitness Award. Oh, yeah. And yeah, a whole battery of tests that uh, one had to accomplish within either a certain amount of time or do so many repetitions in order to pass. And when you pass this test, you were given a patch and a certificate. And in my school, it was awarded on the last day of school. And yeah. all the really cool, popular kids won this award. And I just thought, you know, if I had two legs, I know I would pass it. But my leg is holding us back. I think that's so true for so many people. I'll just insert that right here. I think we all have something about ourselves that we would change if we could. And we believe that that thing is somehow holding us back from really getting what we want. And I wanted that patch because I wanted to be like all the other kids. And I thought if I could put that patch on my jacket like they did, not just one patch. I mean, the really cool kids had like two or three. And all summer long, I grew up in a small town. You'd see them around town or at the pool and they'd be wearing their sweatshirt or their jacket with their patches on display. So I decided to write a letter to the president of the United States because it was called the president's physical fitness award. And so I figured he was the, probably the best person to go to about my problem. So I wrote a letter, you know, it was to Gerald Ford. I know that totally dates me as far as when he was president. Um, basically saying, can you please devise standards for this test so that a one-legged kid like me has a chance to pass it? Because I am in good physical condition, but I've got this leg, you see, and it's holding me back. Wow. I got a letter back, and I won't read it to you today, but it wasn't from the president, by the way. It was from some guy I had never heard of before, <laughs> and probably nobody else had either. Um, it was saying, you know, we're really sorry, but there are so many disabilities out there that for us to devise standards for somebody with one leg, we would also need to devise standards for someone who has cerebral palsy, perhaps somebody who's missing an arm, somebody who is blind. You see, the list goes on and on, and we simply cannot devise a set of standards that would apply across the board to all kids. So... You know, the letter, basically, they said, we're sorry to disappoint you, but that's just the way it is. My mother, she thought the letter was really cool. For one thing, it was on stationery that had that eagle embossed in it. You know, when you hold a piece of paper up to the light and you can see a pattern in the paper? The water watermark. Yes, watermark. That's it, exactly. It had an, like the presidential eagle seal in the watermark. So maybe it did come from the White House. I really don't know. But my mom, she says, oh, that letter is so much better than a patch. When you hold it up to the light, you can see that seal. My mother did not get it because I could not sew what I called a stupid letter to my jacket. Right. And wear it all around town. You see, I was looking for a level playing field. Right. And I later discovered what I really wanted was a steep slope because <laughs> I discovered 
adaptive or at the time we called it disabled skiing. But I went through so many sports trying to prove I played volleyball. I even tried basketball, which was really a joke. I, I tried horseback riding, got bucked off the horse. Um, so many things, even running. <laughs> I always said these running, I'll call them the Ronnie run goal. It's where I would get out every day and say, I'm going to run a mile. And people would always pull over and ask if I needed a ride. Oh, wow. And I'm out exercising, right? Wearing running shoes and shorts and thinking I'm looking like Joe Jock out there. And people stop and ask if I need a ride. This still happens. I like to walk now. I don't do the Ronnie run as much anymore, but I'll be out walking before COVID started. Nobody asked me for a ride now. And I'm not sure why. Um, Maybe my walk is better than it used to be, but (laughs) Well, it's obvious that you were meant to be an athlete. And so we have to take a quick little break here, Ronnie. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about how you settled on your um, skiing as your um, sport. So hang in there with us, everyone. Come on back uh, to A Wealthy Life for Her. Are you looking for a professional speaker for your next event, either virtual or in person? Ronnie Sasaki is a dynamic and entertaining presenter. As a Paralympic gold medalist, she inspires audiences to achieve their goals and dreams by embracing their imperfections. To find out if she is a good fit for your meeting, call her at 360-607-9422 or visit her website at ronniesasaki.com. That's R-O-N-I-S-A-S-A-K-I.com. To fulfill the distinctive needs of women, Teresa Lieutenant created an extraordinary pricing model designed to let you decide what's affordable. You can pay as you go for just the service you need right now or receive a reduced price when you bundle services together. Find out how you can get started by visiting reinventinghermoney.com and select Work with Teresa. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. And welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Lieutenant and my guest, Ronnie Sasaki, who is so uh, brilliantly telling us about her life. She was born with one leg. And before the break, Ronnie, you was sharing how you were trying all these different uh, sports, but you did finally uh, arrive at becoming a skier. So tell us how you got to become a skier and then started to pursue becoming an Olympic athlete. Yeah, I had seen some one-legged skiers on television, so I thought this was something I could do. Got the word out. And so one day, just randomly, it seemed, I got a phone call from a woman named Jan who said, Ronnie, would you like to learn how to ski? And so, of course, I said, yes. And we went up to the mountain. I was so excited to show the world what I could do. I knew it would be the sport for me, something I could be really good at. And I really wanted a lift ticket because the lift ticket was kind of equal to that patch in my school. By then, I was in high school. And all the cool kids had multiple lift tickets on their jackets. Mm-hmm. I know it's changed. They're all electronic now. But back then, they would hang on a little wire on the zipper. And so yep. I said to Jan, when do I get my lift ticket? 
And she, she gave me one of my life's most profound lessons. She said, Ronnie, you're not going to get a lift ticket today. First thing we're going to do is learn how to fall. Now, ah. I, th I thought I already knew how to fall. It's something I've been doing my whole life. And she said, you know, if you learn how to fall safely, not only will you not get hurt when you do fall, but you'll be able to ski with more confidence because you'll know that if you do happen to fall, that you'll be fine. And then she went on to say, even more important is to be able to get back up. Because when you're learning to ski, that long ski and the heavy boot, <laughs> they're heavy and they hold you down. The only adaptive equipment that I used was these things called outriggers. And they were like forearm crutches with a short ski tip on the end. And when I was laying on the ground, especially that first day, those things felt like skewers <laughs> pinning me to the ground. Getting right. up, Getting up was the hardest part. The good thing is I had all day to practice because that's all I did all day was fall down get up, fall down, get up. If, if I thought I was an expert before then, I really thought I was an expert by the end of that day. Well, I love what you're saying. Getting up is the hardest part. And isn't that true in anything that we are pursuing in life? It's, it's first we have the fear of falling down and then we have to dig deep inside of ourselves in order to get back up. And that, that is the hardest part. Yeah. And it's funny. You ever notice when a kid falls down and, you know, we just yank them up by the arm and say, you're fine. You're fine. Brush off the dirt, kiss the knee and move on. But right. when an adult falls down, right. oh my goodness, it's totally different. Stop the world, run over. Do we need to call 911? Are you going to be okay? There's this fear of lawsuits engaging afterwards. You know, you say, stay where you are until you know you're okay. Right. It's a totally different story. So at what age do we decide that it's not okay to fall anymore? Right. Maybe it's, maybe it's just that ability to get back up again after we fall. Well, and it's also the kind of guidance we get from um, our parents and, and uh, you know, adults that we look up to. Uh, I do think that's what really puts those thoughts into our head that become, you know, those limiting beliefs as we become adults and then we carry them with us. So what are some of the other things that you learned while you were learning to ski? Because there must have been that moment of transition where you were realizing, hey, I could get really good at this. You know, they, one of the other lessons that I learned really early on is after I entered my first race. <laughs> My teacher encouraged me to enter a race when I didn't even feel ready for it. So she was always pushing to the next level. And I, I had a little bit of fear, but I was willing to go to the next level. Why not? What did I have to lose to try? So that was one of the things that I learned early on was to always reach for the next level. And then after I entered my first race, it was, well, maybe I could qualify for a national championship if I really work at this. So I qualified for national championship. And then I realized, why couldn't I train full time, join a racing program and really see what I'm capable of and commit 100%. And in doing that, what I learned more than anything was it wasn't just about training my body at that point. It was training my mind to be a winner, training my mind to believe that I was worthy enough to mm -hmm. pursue this dream that I'd had since a kid that I didn't mm. think was possible. Right. Training your mind to be a winner. Okay. So 
share with us maybe a couple things that you you did to do that, you know? Visualization is probably one of the things that helped me the most because I was training with some of the best skiers, um, adaptive skiers in the world. There were skiers that I trained with who had no arms. There were skiers with one arm, no legs, paralyzed skiers. There were blind skiers and they were the best of the best. I was kind of a newbie starting out. So it was easy to compare myself and fall short. So I began to visualize myself skiing as good or better as they did. So that was a real important key to training my mind. Um, believing in myself, yes. believing that it was possible. Again, I said the worthy piece, believing that I was worthy to win. It was I was good at coming in last because I always had. So I had to take on, or I chose to take on a whole new belief system around being able to come in first and that it was a possibility for me. That's it. Worthy to win. That should be the title of your next book because <laughs> it's that, a lot of what uh, women in particular, we do, uh, many of us suffer from a lack of worthiness and um, you know, there's various reasons for that. But once you start having some success at something that you're truly passionate about and you learn some of these, that there actually are techniques, there actually are success strategies that you can learn. But the motivation and the passion has to be there first and then believing in yourself and that you are worthy enough to win or succeed. Is that what you've experienced in your life? Yeah, totally. And then, of course, there's the taking massive action piece, too, and I'm not going to downplay right. it because I... I don't think it's about sitting back and waiting for something to happen. It's about taking those steps to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. Right. And what I call that massive action. Well, exactly. You, you have to be uh, constantly moving forward and taking on new challenges and pushing outside your comfort zone. So you and I are talking the same language. Yeah, so exactly. you, you <laughs> that's what I love about, uh, you know, in, interviewing people like you, because you're very successful at you learned how to be successful as you were pursuing this skiing dream. And then you set your sights on the Olympics. So tell us the story about winning the, at the Olympics, the Paralympics. Well, it's so funny because the first race um, was was unexpected. We were supposed to have a couple of days to acclimate to the time change and everything. And after we'd been there one day at 11 o'clock that night, we got a knock on the door that there was the weather had changed and a storm was blowing in. And instead of beginning men's downhill training, they, they rearranged the schedule and it was going to be the women's giant slalom. So get your skis ready and get ready to race tomorrow. And I remember standing the start on that day and I wasn't ready. I was not mentally prepared. And all of a sudden, as I'm literally in the start and the start official is like racer ready. And I'm going, no, all the doubts, all that self-talk that I'd worked so hard to train out of my mind, it came creeping back in. Um, and the weather was really terrible. The visibility was bad. And, and here we were, you know, we had an opportunity to race. Mm -hmm. And I remember pushing out of the starting gate and literally plowing down the course as if it were like a bobsled course because of all the new snow that had piled up along the sides, really reining in my mind to stay mm -hmm. focused. And yet, as I rounded the big corner toward the end, the last steep slope as it dropped off to the finish, somehow my right arm got stuck behind me and I slammed to the ground. 
mm. and was blown out of the first race of the Paralympics. And here it was my dream come true. And I blew it on the first day. And I think I really blew it because of the self, the self-talk and the doubts that began to creep in, in those moments in the start. Well, uh, and that is such a normal thing to do, right? Because I mean, when you're really at that moment where you have to perform, then uh, you find out what you're really made of. But that must have also helped solidify your intention and your inner power for the next time. Yeah, I, after I felt totally defeated and sat on the side and kind of licked my wounds there for a while, I remember Jan and her teachings on that first day. You know, the most important thing is to get back up. Mm-hmm. So the beautiful thing is, is I had practiced over those years of training for that moment. Yeah, I fell in the first race and it, it was what it was, right? I had an opportunity to get back up and mm-hmm. do it again and try again, mm-hmm. not for that race, I was done. But the second race of the Paralympics, I stood in the starting gate once again. And it was totally different because I told those voices in my head to sit down and shut up. And I let, I let the, the voices come in that said, you are worthy, you are, I was confident, I was capable, I'd been training for my whole life, it seemed, for that moment, and I was ready. When the, the start referee said, racer ready, I was like, yes, sir. And I took off out of the starting gate. And I remember feeling completely out of control at any moment I thought I could blow out of the course. And I managed to hang on to it. And as I crossed the finish line, I looked up at the times and my name got bumped up to the top of the reader board. And I stood in the finish line and I watched as all of the other competitors in my class came down and my name stayed at the top. And on that second race of the Paralympics, I won a gold medal. Wow. I can't even imagine what that feels like. Uh, The euphoria that floods your body and uh, the emotional high that you're on. It was. It was. It's so and so incredible, especially when you compare the two, <laughs> the first right. race of falling and the second race of feeling such victory. And truthfully, I could have chosen at any moment to feel either way, right? I mean, it was all up to me anyway, how I wanted to feel. But, right. you know, having them play the national anthem and standing on the podium as they put a gold medal around my neck, that definitely created an experience, um, one that I have not yet forgotten. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty incredible. I imagine so. So did you just race in that one year or did you race other years? I That was the only Paralympics that I competed in. Uh-huh. I actually retired after that year and went on to begin to build my family. Um, a few years later, I started my business. So I, so I raced... Talk- yeah, let's talk about um, transitioning from being a, you know, an Olympic gold medalist in racing, uh, ski racing, and then to becoming an entrepreneur. What are some of the ch- lessons and the challenges that you sort of transition to that experience? Yeah, I think the, the one of the things that I really noticed about being a ski racer versus being a business owner, I started my business about uh, four years after I retired from ski racing. And it was a lot lonelier starting a business. Yeah. It's, you know, winning medals and, and racing in, 
either the Paralympics or the world championships or national races or even regional races, you know, when you do well and you get medals, people cheer and they put medals around your neck and it's very exciting. (laughs) And when you're in a business starting it out, particularly from the ground floor, yeah, I may cheer when I get a sale or if I have a small staff, they're going to cheer, but it's, there's no news stories, no newspaper articles being written. Nobody wants to interview me because I just landed, you know, my first sale or whatever. (laughs) And yet it's just as rewarding and it's just as challenging and it requires so many of the same mental skills. Yes. For instance, especially that one, you know, where, where you say that you are an expert at falling and, you know, business, uh, falling or failing, you know, when you're really pursuing a goal and then you don't make it or you, you some huge uh, uh, mistake happens, it's it's really hard to get up from that. So I'm assuming that that's one of the, the things that you learned that you've really uh, been able to apply as an entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. Getting up. I mean, I can tell you all of the times I was involved in a lawsuit. I felt like a failure in that, even though I ended up being victorious in a way, it's hard to be victorious, you know, after defending yourself with thousands of dollars. Um, I I made some bad hires. Yeah. I had to lay people off when things got slow. Yeah. There were so many challenges, not getting the sale, losing a good customer. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, one after the other and being able to, you talked about resiliency and finances and being mm-hmm. resilient in the business world as you know, my, my definition is being able to bounce back or if you will get back up after you fall down so that you have another day to race, another day to be in the starting gate. That's exactly right. And, you know, of course I relate to a lot of what you said. I could like check the box of several of the things that you mentioned (laughs) have been challenges for you as a business owner. Uh, And the, and the real important thing is it's okay to feel bad. That's what I have learned, that I can give myself the permission to, as you did, sit on the sidelines and and lick your wounds and feel bad for a while. But then you got to limit that and you have to refocus on, you know, what's important to you. And we're going to take another quick break. But when we come back, I really want to um, ask you about the importance of setting goals, because this is something that I talk about a lot on this show and in my business. So. Come on back, everybody, to a wealthy life for her. Are you looking for a professional speaker for your next event, either virtual or in person? Ronnie Sasaki is a dynamic and entertaining presenter. As a Paralympic gold medalist, she inspires audiences to achieve their goals and dreams by embracing their imperfections. To find out if she is a good fit for your meeting, call her at 360-607-9422 or visit her website at ronisasaki.com. That's R-O-N-I-S-A-S-A-K-I.com. Reinventing Hermani was born in 2003 with the vision of expanding services beyond traditional wealth management to include financial literacy, money mindset, and empowerment coaching for professional women who have unique challenges to becoming financially independent. Start your journey towards pursuing a financial life on your own terms at reinventinghermoney.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIP. 
PC. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Hey, welcome back to my interview with Ronnie Sasaki, who was born with one leg and she became a gold medalist and and bronze medalist winner at uh, the Paralympics in 1992. And now we're talking about, you know, what it's like to be a business owner and some of the challenges and the amazing successes that we get to experience uh, being entrepreneurs. So, so Ronnie, you know, uh, my listeners know that I have studied success strategies, and I mentioned before that I talk about them over and over because I believe the inner game is just as important as, as the choices you make in the outer world, whether it's with money or anything else that is important to you and you your life. So uh, what is the value that you place on setting goals? Well, I place a very high value on setting goals. It's something that I practice in my life. Um, regularly. In fact, I, I work with a mastermind group and we set monthly goals. We set four goals in different areas of our lives so that we create balance and then we keep each other accountable and support each other in, in the achievement of those goals. It hasn't always been that way. I've, and I don't always reach my goals to be honest with you, but I remember a time when I set these goals and either didn't pursue them or for whatever reason, didn't achieve them. And it I just kind of created this, well, why do, Why should I even bother? And I've learned so much about the power of setting a goal that has, that's measurable, that's specific and is attainable and is a stretch. Right. So, and then achieving that goal and the power that that has at, to my heart, you know, what it does is, is a very powerful very powerful tool to use in moving forward in life. You know, when you set a big goal, I'm always encouraging my clients to set bigger goals than than they really want to because I think, you know, we we have tendency, we some people have a tendency to want to feel safe and not get too uncomfortable and not risk too much and uh the fear of failure is is big. But when you set a really big goal and you are able to keep yourself motivated and in a structure of thinking positive and taking action, that feeling is just like the feeling that you had when you uh when you raced uh, so well that you won a gold medal. I mean, you don't have to just have, you know, all that. Um, so many people, people uh, cheering for you. You can feel that inside, and it can be just as empowering. Totally, I, I agree with that. And I've had some goals that I've achieved since ski racing. That you're right. They, there was no cheering section at all. And right. my sense of satisfaction was, was way up there with getting that gold medal as well. So goals are just a very, they're a very powerful tool. And I, I, I mean, I believe that getting that gold medal was the fulfillment of a goal. I throw in the word dream. And I think there is a difference between goals and dreams mm. because to me, that was a it was like a dream when I was a kid that seemed impossible, but because of the steps that were taken along the way, it then became attainable and became a possibility. And I think that's how oftentimes um, a goal can start out as a dream, 
Um, but then when it be, we make it tangible, make it yes. real by setting goals along the way to right. make that dream a possibility. Exactly. And, you know, to think really positive, think positively about what's possible, believing that it is possible for you. Now, I am curious, you know, here you are now a successful businesswoman who has new goals and sometimes she falls down and sometimes she doesn't. But what does what's it like to have one leg now in your life? Well, it's interesting because I don't think about it very much anymore. Yeah, but I still have one leg. And it's funny because I'm actually getting ready to get a brand new prosthetic leg. So I do think about it. I clearly I do. And people still stop and ask if I need a ride, if I'm out walking. (laughs) So it still (laughs) happens. Um, And, and I have days where I don't even think about it. And then every so often I'll have a day that sets in and I'm just, maybe I'm, in pain for whatever reason, which of those days are really rare anymore. Um, so in my daily life, it's kind of interesting. It, it doesn't play a very big role, but it is so shaped who I am. Right. That I don't ever really overlook that. Most of the time I am so grateful to be a person with only one leg. I see it as a gift. Yeah. I can imagine. And I bet you're, you know, you've been through quite a lot of technology improvements in terms of prosthetics and, um, you know, also just in the way that uh, bodies are, we take care of our bodies differently now than we did when, when we were younger. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're both authors. And so I was interested about how writing your book you know, what that experience was, was like for you. Obviously you wrote about what kind of what you've been telling us today, but share with us a little bit about your book and, and writing it, how it impacted your life. Well, you talk about goals, writing my book was definitely a goal. And I set it in many different stages from writing the rough draft to then revising each chapter. (laughs) Cause I never, ever saw myself as an author. And yet I felt inside of me this calling to write my story. And my book is faith-based. I do talk about my belief in God in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I also talk about how I believe that, you know, being born with one leg at first, I thought was a curse, something, kind of a punishment, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. And the transformation that took place in my life is I began to see it as the gift that I still believe that it is. Right. And how that shift in my mindset made all the difference in the world for me. It's Mm kind of like I I said earlier, I think all of us have something about ourselves that we would change if we could. Or maybe Mm -hmm. it's not so much about ourselves. Right now, we look out the world, there's so much going on in our world that I think we would change if we could. Right. And we may believe that it's it's some kind of a curse or a punishment or holding us back. But what happens if we change our belief around that thing or that event and we use it as a stepping stone or a catalyst? Because my leg was totally the catalyst that I felt, you know, drove me to become the athlete that I was. And that's possible for everybody that a person doesn't have to have a disability to be able to adapt and to be able to, to bounce back and to use those things as gifts. We all get to do that every single day. 
then this is the message that I think is the most important is that the one thing that we believe is a problem for ourselves is also the gift that we can use to become a bigger person, to learn more, to stretch ourselves, to connect to people in life. And so I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your podcast, which I was looking on your website. You interview really cool people. Tell us about your podcast. Oh, yeah. My podcast is called A Leg Up on Life. And most of my guests, not all of them, but most of my guests are individuals with disabilities. I have interviewed um, people who are quadriplegics, paraplegics, um, blind individuals, people with no legs like myself, um, just the whole gambit of different types of disabilities. I've interviewed some people who are not disabled, but who have encountered um, breast cancer, I interviewed a person who got COVID-19, um, caretakers of severely disabled indiv individuals with severe disabilities, get my terminology right here. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's about how, these, how they overcame, how they have been resilient, how they have achieved their level of success. Right. And I see so many similar patterns in the one thing I hear over and over again is I wouldn't have chosen this but I see it as such a blessing. <laughs> so right. This, this, I hear it over and over from my guests. So when we're feeling bad and we need a little bit of motivation, we can come drop on over to your podcast and uh, feel better about ourselves, which, you know, now, now, like you say, there's so much going on. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's questions about the future in a way that maybe we haven't felt for a long time. So we, motivation and, and knowing that, you know, we all have things that we can overcome if we look at them as a blessing. So um, we just have a few minutes left, but I wanted to give you a chance to really, uh, if anybody is listening that uh, is looking for a speaker, which I would totally recommend you, tell us about your speaking career and how our listeners, listeners can contact you. All right. Well, I speak for many different events. I've spoken for schools and churches and um, corporate events and business groups as well. My website is ronniesasaki.com. I'll spell that. It's R-O-N-I-S as in Sam, A-S as in Sam, A-K-I.com. And all of my information is there. You can also reach out to me on my phone, which is 360 six zero seven nine four two two again it's three six zero six zero seven nine four two two and i welcome any conversation um to see if i'm a good fit for whatever event virtual because i'm totally set up now to do virtual events as well as in person once those get going again we have all learned how to uh, become virtual and upgrade our technology skills. Yes. So, you know, life is going on actually pretty well. So I want to thank you so much for being with me today, Ronnie, and I look forward to staying in touch. So next week, our guest will be Marianne Marlowe, hypnotherapist and owner of thislovedworks.com. And we're going to be discussing a topic that I really wanted to get into, and that is how to get over grievances with family members and friends. So I hope you'll join us next week. 
So thank you all so much for listening and being part of our Wealthy Life for Her mission. I know there's so many shows and podcasts to choose from now, and I'm really grateful when you choose ours. So if you enjoyed yourself, please share the show with your friends and family. And always subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you, Alexis Lieutenant Gregory, who composed our theme music. Eric, my producer, the support staff at Financial Advocates, and everyone at KKNW, 1150 AM. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube under Teresa Lieutenant, T-R-E-S-A. And sign up for our free training and uh, financial tips to survive COVID-19 at reinventinghermoney.com. Remember, ladies, that financial independence is your birthright. With the right education and empowerment and the right financial advice, you can overcome your financial challenges and create a wealthy life on your terms. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Professional women face unique challenges from financial and life circumstances that threaten their long-term financial security. Women earn less than men, live an average five years longer, take time out from their careers to raise children, and are less confident making financial choices. Are you ready to solve the challenges that are robbing you of financial independence? Visit ReinventingHerMoney.com and schedule a chat with a female financial planner who cares. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Teresa is founder of Reinventing Her Money and author of Reinventing Her, helping women plan, pursue, and capitalize on their next chapter. Available on Amazon. She is a certified financial planner and wealth advisor for professional women who aspire to a wealthy and financially independent life. Learn more at reinventinghermoney.com.